think I'm unneeded. Well, good evening, church. Uh, yeah. uh, just start off, uh, the verses that uh, I had to preach on this evening were First Peter chapters 2, verses 11 and 12, <clears throat> which over the past I think, couple weeks, uh, I've gotten to know these two verses very well and have both <clears throat> written stuff down and also taken it back. Yeah, I deleted stuff. I had pages upon pages and just had to do some last minute additions tonight. But <clears throat> just to get started, if you would turn to First Peter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, <clears throat> after reading this, I've uh, after reading this, I've learned as Christians, like, we're pretty much surrounded on all sides. Anybody's getting ready to accuse us for saying the wrong thing, saying we're being hypocrites. But through this, I hope to shed some light that we are actually speaking the truth that we are not evil, but it is through our conduct and everything like that that we are <clears throat> just supposed to live holy lives. So my main idea for this is the code of Christian living in enemy territory. Uh, let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you for the time that you've given for us, for us to just listen to your word and to learn from it. I pray, like Matt said, that it wouldn't be me that's speaking, but it's people learning your word through the words that you've given me. Lord, forgive us any of any of our sins that we are guilty of and just cast aside any, any distractions that are here. Uh, it's in all this, in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> starting, basically, 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 sets the stage for the remainder of the letter of Peter. Uh, quoting, Dr., or quoting David R. Helms, in a very real way, these two verses function as the threshold to the remainder of the letter. Enter through them, and you enter fully into the home of 1 Peter, where rooms upon rooms explore how the beloved are to live. From here on, we learn of true grace in action, what it looks like to stand firm while living far from our heavenly home. Verses 11 and 12 clearly form an exhortation to good and honorable gospel living. In subsequent chapters, we will find specific examples of the gracious life expressed in the vast array of contexts in which every follower of Jesus must walk. Peter will take us into the rooms of the Christian's relationship to society and government, employment, and marriage. However, in these two verses, we arrive nearly at the threshold of Peter, Peter's home. So it does... <clears throat> A few questions came to my mind as I was reading and prepping for this, and one thing that stood out is, who are we as Christians? And to start on that question, I want to go back to 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, which states that we are a chosen race. 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is great news for those who are Christians, and more than that, Peter states that we are beloved. Back to David R. Helms, he hits the nail on the head when he states that beloved is the honored title that accompanies any, everyone whose spiritual identity and eternal destination are wrapped up in Christ. What it means to be wrapped up in Christ, we will see later on. Now, being beloved in Christ does come with a cost. Granted, it is a cost that is worth paying. As Christians, we are sojourners and exiles in, on this earth, basically meaning that we are in a land that is not our own, and we will never fully be in our true home until we are united with Christ in our earthly death. Until then, however, we are here in a land that is not our own. There are a few passages of scripture that I would like to direct your attention to that summarize this. In Genesis 15:13, the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Now, speaking this text in its proper perspective, God was talking about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. But this also can relate to us in a manner of speaking that we are stuck in a world that is not our own. Romans 9, 6 through 8 states, But it is not as though the word of God failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted on his, as his offspring. Jeremiah 24, four, verses 4 through 7 reads, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so I'll regard as good the exiles from Judah whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will plant them and not pluck them out. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall <clears throat> and they shall be my people, and I shall be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. Now this verse is talking about the Babylonian exile. But as Christians, we are also living in a world that is hostile towards the gospel and anyone who speaks the truth. Jeremiah 29, 28 says that he has sent us in Babylon, sent us in Babylon saying, your exile will be long. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Brothers and sisters, as sojourners and exiles, we have no idea how long our pilgrimage will be, but we should definitely know how we ought to live until God calls us home which leads me to the big picture of how we are to live our lives in this world. <clears throat> this brings me to my second point, dis which I've titled Discipline for War. Uh, from here we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. Another word that I've learned for wage war is soldier, coming from the Greek word stratuo. Uh, so... <clears throat> Right now, I just would like to t turn to how we are to focus, <clears throat> how we are to live as Christians. In this section, I want to talk about abstaining from the passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul. To start this off, I'm going to break this phrase into two sections. The first, dealing with the passions of the flesh, to get a better idea 
the passions of the flesh, I would like to read for you Romans 1, verses 26 through 32, which states, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Consider this a long list of passions of the flesh in which all of us once walked according to the ways of this world. For us who follow Christ, we bought into the lie of this world that these passions would lead to happiness when in reality they tend to make a mess out of life. There are so many broken relationships out there today because of people who are living in disobedience to God. We have so many who are confused on identity because they can't accept how God formed them. It is a very confusing world that we live in, and as Christians, we need to be set apart. We need to put the deeds of the flesh to death, and the only way to do that is with God's holy word. Right now, I would like to point out to the correlation between the passions of the flesh and the soul. After listening to some podcasts by John Piper, I've grown to understand that the passions of the flesh are anything that takes us away from what we are made to do in Christ. We are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the dangers of the flesh are not what it does to our physical flesh, but what it does to our soul, which has the eternal destination of heaven or hell. The more we sin, the more we singe our soul and keep ourselves far from God. <clears throat> Wayne Grudem put it this way, such a command to abstain from sin implies that inward desires are not uncontrollable, but can consciously be but can be consciously nurtured or restrained, a needed rebuke for, to our modern society which takes feelings as morally as a morally neutral given and disparages any who would say that some feelings and desires are wrong. <clears throat> to continue to group uh, to quote Wayne Grudem, to entertain such desires may appear momentarily attractive and entirely harmless, <clears throat> since the desires do not usually break forth into wrongful action, but they are in reality enemies which inflict harm on the Christian soul, making him spiritually weak and ineffective. To be unaware of this spiritual damage indicates a low level of spiritual perception. Um, one of the things I've learned by listening to John Piper's to wage war against the to wage war against the passions of the flesh is to replace it with something. Of course you can do it there he quoted two ways. A just completely cut it out of your life. Cut cut the hand off, gouge the eye out, that sins. But then replace it with Christ. Because if you're just keeping yourself away from these things that's all good and everything, but if you're not filling your life with Christ, it's going to come back. 
simple as that. <clears throat> this leads me to my final point, and I've titled it, Be Honorable in a Society That Thinks We Are Evil. What gets me here is that the world thinks that we are evil, yet we are doing nothing deserving of the title. In fact, the words of Isaiah ring out clearly, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's from Isaiah 5.20. We live in a society today in which sinful things are praised and the truth is thrown to the garbage. And the question that comes to mind is how do we keep our conduct honorable in a world that hates the truth? To get a practical example of how we are to do just that, I would like to point you to Romans 12, verses 19, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave to the wrath of God. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is what I would like to call the Christian basics. Granted, we all fall short because we are sinners. Still, the importance is to strive after these actions, to love those who persecute us, to live a life that is so radically different from the world that people start to take notice and wonder what is wrong with us. We got to be weird, guys. Completely countercultural. So, but <clears throat> next in this section, notice that it states, "When we are slandered as evildoers, there's a reason as to why we are sland slandered as being evil. Though we are to try and live peaceably with ev everyone around us as much as possible, there are still a lot of things that we should take a stand on and not cower for fear of man." There are a lot of things that come to mind when it comes to being slandered as evil, Call, uh, calling abortion murder, believing the biblical foundation of ma marriage, sharing the gospel with non-believers. Just these three things listed right here are sure way to get <coughs> labeled evil by this world because it goes against what the world wants to believe, and that is that they can make their own truth. As Christians, we are called to good works, so that people will glorify God on the day of visitation. Our good deeds help us in many ways as we will be slandered as evil, but according to 1 Peter 2.15, that by doing good we will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. To sum up 
let people say what they will about us as long as we are speaking the truth or performing good deeds. There is no credible, there is no credible evidence for people to call us evil. The main goal, however, is that by our conduct, many people would come to know Christ. As Wayne Groom has stated, that our conduct in daily life is our greatest form of evangelism. And with this, I just want to leave you with a few practical ways of living a godly life. Um, dealing with dealing with the terrible coworkers, I've had to deal with my fair share at my workplace. Haven't always done, haven't always been the best at showing a Christian example, but we need to love our enemies no matter how how much it hurts. Um, not being afraid to share the gospel with somebody and just continue just reading scripture, growing in godliness, and praying for your enemies. And to close out this time of teaching over God's word, there is a verse, there's a verse to a song that sums up everything that I have talked about this evening. The name of the song is A Pattern Tamed by Phineas. Basically, eternity will never be long enough with you when every step I take feels so worn. If heralds of glory sing the minute life begins to fade, then death is just a bridge between us. I mean, no matter what we're going through in this life, if we're doing it all for the glory of Christ, then it's all worth it. This is our longing, our hope. Until we are united with Christ, we are to live as sojourners and exiles, serving those around us with good deeds and pointing people back to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And just thank you that you've given us a good example to live by. I pray that um, I spoke well this evening. I pray that anything that I spoke that wasn't necessary or anything like that would be forgotten. But I just pray that we would leave here more ready to spread the gospel and love our enemies. In Jesus' name I pray.